So we're continuing our series, which we're calling provocatively the Year of Favor. And we're going to talk about the authority of Jesus today. A couple of weeks ago, I was sharing with you about the astonishing fact of John the Baptist's doubt, which came out of his own circumstances, confusion, and disappointment, which I think resonated with a lot of people from the responses that I've had since speaking that message. Well, today is kind of the other side of the coin. It's the reason why, despite those times in our lives where everything seems to be out of control, that we can rely on the fact that God is sovereign, that he remains in ultimate control as a fact. Not as an exercise of faith even, he just is. He is the Lord. And so when Jesus began his ministry quoting Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, with the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, he was making a statement about his authority and who he was as the anointed one, the Christ, the promised Messiah. The fact of it, and it doesn't mean that everybody who heard it responded in faith, but it made no difference. He was still the Lord that passages like this one from Isaiah that Jesus spoke from and the prophets spoke of. See, Jesus came as the anointed king of heaven with a mandate to deliver another reign, another kingdom where poverty wasn't king. Amen? A kingdom where sickness wasn't Lord. Can I have an amen? A kingdom where demons and death didn't reign. Amen. Amen. He came to announce another way of looking at everything, and he declared his anointed authority to do so. Now, in the second half of Luke, chapter 8, from where I'm speaking today, we have some of the clearest demonstrations anywhere in the Bible of the evidence of Jesus' authority. I'm not going to be able to read the whole chapter to you, but I'm speaking from verses 22 to 56, and I'm going to retell uh, four stories about how Jesus commands the wind and the waves. He sets a man free from around 3,000 demons. He heals a woman who touches him in the crowd and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Four real-life, that was eight, (laughs) four (laughs) real-life stories, I'm trying to make an emphasis, which reveals Jesus is the Lord of creation and all that is in this world. Lord over heaven and all that's in the spiritual realm. Lord over sickness and and indisputably Lord over death. Can I have an amen for that? Amen. So I'm going to build this message around four four verses uh, and four questions that Jesus asks which reveal his authority and his lordship over these four realms. So here's the first one. Jesus steps into a moment where it seems like the whole world is out of control. That's what verses 22 to 25 are about. The disciples, who for the most part were experienced fishermen, lived and worked around an unpredictable world, the unpredictable world of the sea. And they were brave men, but on this occasion they were scared. 
They were caught in a storm of massive proportions and things were getting serious. And it looked like they were going to be swamped because the waves were just too big to ride out and the wind was too strong to turn about. And as if this wasn't bad enough, the Lord was asleep. Yeah, he was with them in the boat. They could even see him lying there. But he was completely unaware, it seems, of the danger that they were in. You can just imagine all kind of questions were going through their heads. Doesn't he see? You know, doesn't he know? Does he even care? And the storm is raging, but God is silent. (laughs) They're crying out, but no one is answering. Where are you, God? Even though he was there with them in the boat, he just seemed so far away. And I don't know, perhaps some of you have felt a bit like that over this year. It's just over a year now since the WHO made the announcement and declared a global pandemic. You know, the world, it seems, is, has been out of control <laughs> It's not been certain anymore. Nothing can be relied upon. I can't even plan anything. And we're surrounded, aren't we, by an invisible threat that's out to kill us and it's already killed so many. And it's been like we've been hanging on for dear life, riding out the storm. And where is God in this? How has he allowed it? Can't he do something about it? You know, the disciples finally managed to wake Jesus and he stands up. It must have been a bit precarious in the middle of a storm, but he stood in the midst of the chaos and he simply rebukes the wind and the waves and the storm immediately subsides. And then he asks his question. And here's the question, verse 25. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? And I've been thinking about this question Uh, especially the timing of it. You can just imagine the disciples are wet and cold and gasping and exhausted. They've been holding on and survived it by the skin of their teeth. And where is your faith? (laughs) Actually, we've just been trying to survive, Jesus. Um, You know, you were asleep, remember? And the thing is, As I've thought about this, I realize the timing of this question is that Jesus doesn't ask him the question before he calms the storm. He doesn't rebuke them even in the middle of the storm. He doesn't even criticize them after order is restored, because otherwise he would have said, where was your faith? But actually Jesus says, no, where is your faith now? Now that you've come through and you're out the other side, where is your faith after the storm is stilled and you know you're safe now? What's the condition of your faith now that you have survived? Where is your faith? (laughs) And I think that in that moment, the disciples have a revelation. And it says that they say in fear and amazement, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him, in verse 25. Oh my goodness, he was in charge after all. We see it now. He wasn't neglecting us. He knew what he was doing. I get it now. We got through that so we could see this. That when the world seems out of control, he is still Lord. 
He is the Lord over creation and all that is in the world. Where is your faith? Well, it's been purified a bit actually (laughs) through that difficult experience where I had to cling on and I didn't think I was going to survive. I've grown through this time, even though I haven't liked it very much. But actually, I'm quite glad I went through it because I got to see his lordship and his faithfulness in a whole different way. Can you see? (laughs) In your own life, looking back when you face doubt and uncertainty, those times when all you could do was hang on for dear life, those were in fact the times when you grew the most. Those were actually the times, sometimes retrospectively, when you have most clearly been able to see Jesus is the Lord and he's in charge. When the world is out of control, Jesus is Lord. This is the second story, which is about when I am out of control. Anybody been through an experience like that where you've just felt out of control? And that's verses 26 to 39. And it's about this poor man who'd fully lost control of himself and his life. His family had given up on him, presumably, long long ago because he was alone. He was living in the tombs as far away from other people as they could get. <laughs> he never slept, it seems. He just wandered around the tombs crying out day and night. He no longer knew who he was anymore because... He couldn't even tell you his name. He was so dominated by this powerful demonic presence that ruled his life. And he was constantly tormented. Even the chains that they tried to hold him in for his own protection as much as for theirs. But they were completely inadequate. And it seemed like nothing and no one could help him. And the Bible is very clear that the source of this torment is demonic and a pretty extreme one at that. But I can't help but think of something that we might be more familiar with, which is about how this man's mental health and even his sanity was also affected. Perhaps we can understand that a little better. He was completely psychotic. He was out of his mind with torment. He had no ability to think clearly or decide for himself because he was totally and utterly bound, out of control by this thing. But then Jesus comes into the region. And something within the man threw him to the ground in front of Jesus and the man's tormentor became tormented in the face of a far superior Lord. Without meaning to, perhaps, this evil entity had to bow the knee to Jesus and his authority. And here's Jesus' question. What is your name? Verse 30. What is your name? Was this to the demonized man or was he speaking to the demon? (laughs) The man's out of his mind and he, he couldn't answer anyway, but the demon confesses straight away his name and by doing so reveals the extent of his limited authority. My name is Legion, for we are many. (laughs) About 3,000 actually. 
But please don't send us out of this region because that was the place of its own designated rule and authority in that principality. And so Jesus allows it to stay in the region, but it wasn't allowed to touch people anymore. You can go into the pigs, Jesus says. And then the pigs then run over the cliff and drown. (laughs) Now then, what is your name? Who are you, man or woman? Jesus dispels the demons to reveal the man who was then sat or seen sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. That's verse 35. Clothed and in his right man, mind. The man returns to himself. He regains his sanity and with it his dignity. And he reclaims in that moment his human identity and his mental health is restored too. So what about when I... I'm out of control. What about those times when I can't control my thoughts or emotions? My mental health even is at stake. What about those moments of oppression and confusion when I don't know what's me and I don't know what's not? And of course, I'm not saying that mental health and demonic oppression are the same thing, but they can be related. And we're all involved in a battle for the mind in which the demonic certainly doesn't help. But Jesus' question, what is your name, fundamentally calls out the identity of every man or woman that has ever lived and struggled to know themselves, or even affecting their mental health or emotional stability. Jesus is Lord over everything in the spiritual and emotional realm, even when it feels like I'm out of control. He is. I just want to take a moment, I just felt as I was writing this to say, I declare in the name of Jesus, his lordship over our lives. I declare protection over you from the enemy and over your mental and emotional health and well-being. He is Lord, he is Lord, he is Lord over you and over your circumstances in the name of Jesus. So what about sickness then? What about when it seems that sickness is in control? Is Jesus still Lord then? Is he still in charge? So that's what verses 43 to 48 are about. This poor woman, she'd been subjected to a humiliating illness for 12 long years. And despite all the doctors that she'd been to and spent her money on, the bleeding just kept coming. It's thought that she was suffering from an illness which meant that she was continually menstruating. I mean, can you imagine the embarrassment, the discomfort, and the effect on her overall physical well-being? Actually, it meant that she was ostracized by her community. She was considered ceremonially unclean. She was kept away. She was kept at a distance. She wasn't allowed into the temple. She presumably wasn't allowed into the town and she was probably excluded from her family too. So she took this risk, this great risk in in just being there. 
But she knew that Jesus was passing by and somehow she managed to squeeze herself through the crowd, crawling between their legs perhaps and comes up behind Jesus from behind and she was just able to touch the hem of his garment. And then she experienced the most incredible bolt of power which went through her body and she knew in an instant that she was healed. But then horror of horrors. (laughs) Jesus stopped. The crowd stopped. And people were turning around now because he asks his question. And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? This was the worst question he could have asked. She, She wasn't allowed to touch, especially a holy man. She was unclean, and now she'd made him unclean too. There would be consequences. She touched him, and now she was terrified. Who touched me? Jesus just wouldn't let the question go. Power had gone out of him. He wanted her to say what had happened to complete her healing and her restoration. So trembling, she told him and the people around him what had happened about how the bleeding had stopped after 12 years. And Jesus now makes a priestly declaration. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. Verse 48. And from this moment, the woman was not only physically healed, but she was restored to her community because of Jesus' priestly declaration. Because, guys, Jesus is also the Lord over sickness. Even for those that have prayed and believed and visited all the doctors for many years, Jesus is still Lord. And, you know, in my experience, uh, people that have been Long-term sick are some of the hardest people to pray for. It's not their fault. It's just that they've lived with years of disappointment. There's so many layers of disappointment there. A few years ago, a man visited our church here in a wheelchair, and he asked me if I'd pray for him. And I hesitated, and I said to him, well, what do you want me to pray about? Just because the man was in a wheelchair didn't mean that he wanted to suddenly rise up and walk. I know enough about people who went to churches and Christian conferences to ask for his permission first. I didn't want to further disappoint him or or abuse his personhood in some way by assuming I knew. And he said to me, do you know, that is the first time anybody has ever asked me what I wanted. He said, most people just assume. And he was quite emotional. Eventually, he answered the question, he said, well, what I'd really like is, I spend all day sitting in this chair and my back hurts. Do you think you could just pray that the pain would go? I said, yeah, of course. And so we prayed, and he said, as we were praying, he felt warmth going down his back and through his spine, and the pain eased considerably. He wanted to be more comfortable in his chair. (laughs) Wonderful. And there isn't time today to debate why some people are healed and some are not. And neither is it the point of what I'm saying today. But the point is that Jesus is Lord over sickness, whether we are healed or not. And we have authority in his name to pray for the sick and believe for them to be healed. Who touched me? 
Who touched me? Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest who can't be touched (laughs) with the feelings of our infirmities. How about that? So don't give up reaching out to him or standing with others who are suffering. He is the Lord, but he can be touched. Sickness isn't Lord. He is Lord. What about when death is in control then? This is verses 40 to 42 and 49 to 56. And here the question returns again from Jesus in the face of death. Where is your faith in verse 50? Or at least it's implied. Uh, As Jesus encourages Jairus to hold on to the faith that he'd had in asking Jesus to visit his house. She will be healed, Jesus said. The young girl was very sick and it had been a brave act of desperation that had led this synagogue leader so publicly to plead with Jesus to come to his house. But then he gets the news. It's too late. Someone from the house comes to say that the little girl has already died. Eventually, Jesus arrives at the house and speaks to the mourners who are gathered outside. He says, what are you crying about? Why are you wailing? Stop it and get out. She's not dead, just asleep. And he throws them out. And then Jesus enters the house, but he only allows his three closest disciples, Peter, John and James, to enter with him, keeping out of the room all those who had been infected with the atmosphere of death, mourning and despair. Interesting that, isn't it? He even kept the little girl's parents out. And he, and he goes to the little girl and he says, child, arise. And she gets up hungry for something to eat. How wonderful. Because, you know, Jesus is also Lord over death. (laughs) He's Lord over death. He raises the dead and because of his own resurrection holds the keys to life and death. Now, I haven't personally seen anybody raised from the dead yet. But I do have a friend who has a number of times. You remember, surprise, when he visited us a couple of years ago, uh, and he told, told us how they'd seen at least seven or eight people raised from the dead. And guys, I'm still up for that. I'm still up for having a go. But whether any of us have seen a resurrection or not, Jesus' question still applies to each one of us in the face of death. Will you still believe? I've had the privilege, and I mean that, of being around several believers as they've died. (laughs) And you know, it's actually strengthened my faith as each one of these deaths have been saturated so powerfully with the tangible presence of God. In those moments, heaven comes down as they're taken. Often people see angels and and the glory of God fills the room, so much so that the people in the room are usually silent, just the awe of his presence, which stays for a considerable period of time afterwards as well. Now, I know we don't often talk about things like this. Perhaps we should. But Jesus being Lord over death means that we don't need to be afraid of dying. (laughs) But there is also something incredibly significant about knowing that Jesus is also Lord of your life. He's Lord over life and Lord 
over death, in the face of death, even into eternity. Jesus raised Jairus, Jairus's young daughter, reversing her untimely death. <laughs> but there's also something, also something about a victorious and dignified death for the believer because he is Lord. So who is Lord of your life? Who has the ultimate victory? Who is really in charge? Because whether you believe it or not, <laughs> Jesus is factually the Lord and has a name above every other name. So even when the world is out of control, Jesus is Lord. Even when it feels like I am out of control and I don't know how to think anymore, Jesus is Lord. When sickness tries to tell us that it's in charge, Jesus is still the Lord. He's Lord over sickness and pain. And when death knocks on the door or even in a resurrection, Jesus is Lord over life and he's Lord over death. Can you say that? Can you say that even when there is still so much wrong with the world. Can you say that, that factually Jesus is Lord? Because you see, declaring Jesus' Lordship is not to lead us into passivity, so whatever will be, will be. He's in charge, he's the Lord, it's up to him. Rather, it's to draw out intercession and prayer, so that when things seem out of control, we cry out to him, say, come on, you're Lord, you are Lord, you can do something about this. It's to call out that spirit from within us, crying out to God, so God, you come down, bring what's in heaven and bring it to earth. It's to call out intercession and prayer. And Jesus' lordship, you see, doesn't depend on your faith or the lack of it. (laughs) He's still Lord because God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the word of God says. He's Lord Whatever you feel or think or believe or doubt, he's still the Lord. Showing us that the fact that Jesus is Lord doesn't always answer all of our questions. Did you think you were going to get all of your questions answered on this side of eternity? No. But it must always compel our worship. His Lordship compels us. To worship. You look through that chapter that we've just been going through on almost every event. The response of the people, the response of his disciples is fear or worship. Amen. Bless you. I want us to sing a song to close right now because his lordship compels our worship. And let's just worship him. Let's just finish with worshiping him. And if you've been struggling, and I know that there are a number of people who have been struggling recently, that's okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that how you feel. His lordship is inevitable. His lordship is a fact that we can rely upon. So why don't you just get to your feet and just stand before him and say, you are the Lord.
You're the Lord, you're the famous one. But all of the songs that you can think of, just start to speak them out, start to speak out psalms, start to speak out of your own need even. Say, Lord, you are the Lord over this situation or those circumstances. Let's start to declare his lordship in our lives. Bless you.